This podcast contains occasional rude words and possibly some very wrong concepts. So you have to blame yourself for listening and we hope you have a laugh. G'day, it's the Moon Man here, Lawrence Mooney. Did you ever have a childhood dream denied but can live with yourself because at least you tried? Check out this podcast, Saturday Afternoon Fever, with Matthew Hardy and myself, where we remember what we were like as naughty kids, terrible teenagers and young, drunk, idiot adults. Post-match piss-ups began to take on extra importance, (laughs) right? Songs we'd sing on the bus back from games where we'd unexpectedly won. We can drink, we can fight, we can f*** all bloody night. We are the boys from Oakley. As I write these lines and now read them, I have some understanding of why we were so frustrated and unsuccessful in the girlfriend department. Because <laughs> you were putrid. I was, a, I was a virgin singing about, singing about how I could all night. I know. <laughs> Oh, and you're probably even at that time, as you sang the lyric, there was probably a little bit of yourself ashamed. A little twinge of... Just like, no, I'm just lying to be one of the boys. Imagine that stopping the sing-song, a triumphant sing-song on the bus. It's all toxic toxic masculinity straight from the Wesley College playbook, right? (laughs) Just saying, excuse me, guys. Excuse me, guys. Can I I just... um, I've just got to say on my own behalf, I haven't lost my virginity, so I don't know whether I can all night. So do you mind if I sit the song out or just at least don't sing that line? And I don't know whether we, we could can consider... drink, we can fight. Away you go. <laughs> and Where guys, can we consider... <laughs> can we consider, fellas, the, uh, it might be a tad misogynist, maybe toxic in the masculinity stakes, uh, if we could all really... Uh, uh, Bang. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who stole the horse just flattens you. <laughs> Don't know what toxic, toxic masculinity sounds like, but it sounds pretty, pretty poofy. Back to the book. <laughs> I think we both had a mutual. A mutual. Just, <laughs> just, we just got sick of ourselves. Yeah, we both realised the horror of our former selves. I was reminiscing about going to my 25th uh, secondary school reunion, which was back in 2007, so some time ago now. Um, and I went with some trepidation. It's like, you know, reunions, who's fat, who's bald, who's dead, uh, who's ultra <laughs> successful. And uh, the moment I went in, all of us as a collective were reduced back down to the final year of high school or secondary school uh, before you had started to either acknowledge a part of yourself and change or develop a facade. So... That facade or that extra sophistication that you developed was stripped away straight away and immediately everyone was just back at the age of 17. And it was wonderful because one of our motivating factors as a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old was just to laugh. And so that night was just full of ridiculous, pure old laughter and carry-on. And at the end of the night, we formed a circle and whoever wanted to make a speech could get in the middle and, you know, make a speech but they were then subject to all of the put-downs that they would have gone through high school with. And it was hilarious. <laughs> God, it was good. So maybe, you know, that former self will always be a part of you. Back to the book. 
Oh, thank God. I was sick of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Following a string of failed attempts at attracting the opposite sex, most blokes I knew found bare-faced lies to be their best remaining option. (laughs) Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've had sex with her. Have you? No. Pretending to be a league footballer was a favourite fib, if only because previously uninterested girls often didn't about face upon being told of their suitors' skills with a Sharon. Yeah, yeah, I'm playing reserves at the moment, not far off a senior game, was a standard cover, just in case they knew their stuff or checked out with a friend who did. However, I must point out, and this is still in the book, I once made a sexual, I once made a sexual contest, conquest, I I once achieved, anyway, I once got laid by finally admitting after two hours of furious denial that, okay, I was in fact the drummer from the Rockmelons. <laughs> that really that happened. is something that can't be checked. That really happened. This woman goes, I know, don't try and I know. Yeah. And when, right. I'm not the drummer from the rock. Was the Rock Melons the band that became the Wiggles? Well, that was Cockroaches. No, that was the Cockroaches. Right. What was the song the Rock Melons had? Oh, oh I should know. I was drumming at the time. Yes. You're sitting behind the skin of the Rock Melons. Wow. Favouring the Forester's Arms in Oakley, the closest bar presenting live bands, the whole team would sing along with a string of cover bands called either Scat or Captain Spaulding, mm. all, of whom would play the, all of whom would play the same songs with K-San as the encore every night. Nickabellas was another of our haunts, and even the tunnel. Nickabellas actually had sawdust on the floor, so that speaks for itself. Where was Nickabellas? Remind me. On the corner was... of Glen Ferry and Dandenong Roads. That then, oh, became, yes. then became UK Tavern. I tried to rebrand it and put its uh, previous bad rep behind it, but didn't work. And even a place called The Tunnel took our fancy a few times. Whenever a woman was able to ignore our boorish behaviour and make one of us aware of her initial interest, the other blokes would pull a prank known as the snake, quickly extinguishing any flames our new female friend may have fanned. Waiting until a man the was... snake? Waiting until a man with a chance had done his groundwork and then gone for a wee before maybe asking if they wanted to head somewhere else together... Some bloke would seize the opportunity to walk up to the woman and tell her vicious lies about what a villain her potential partner was. <laughs> Is that new What's to you? The, no, right. I, 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 it rings a bell, but right. what's the point of that? The idea, basically, such as the fear of the group fragmenting or somebody, you know, bringing a female presence into it, the woman is driven away. With a propaganda campaign against the man. It's hilarious. False yarns were woven until a woman took one of them to be true. Alimony problems, alcoholism, infidelity, (laughs) anything. Diseases. By the time the bloke returned with a spring in his step, ready to move on to greener pastures, the lady had vanished. The perpetrator of a successful snake was held in high regard, even eventually (laughs) and reluctantly by the victim himself. Yep. Anyone falling behind the beer-drinking pace on these evenings out was frowned upon. My surefire method of escape involved playing what we called the Phantom, the ghost who walks. The rules were you'd pretend you're off to buy a few pots uh, and then secretly shuffle outside and into a cab. If this is done well and correctly timed, the mates you've left behind won't even notice your absence until your head is snuggling into your pillow at home. You ever done that, the Phantom? You must have. I have, but uh, I always hated being in a shout where... You'd be drinking beer at a pace. The volume always overwhelmed me. I was never a great beer drinker. One or two, or I can sit on, you know, have a drink of quite a few across a session, but that, hey, it's your shout kind of thing, always found me out and found me wanting. Back to the book. Deep down, I dreamt of getting a game in Oakley District's senior side. 
If that happened, maybe a talent scout would see me play well. Mm. Then, if I could put on some weight, who knows? Who knows? Everybody knew. Even me. I was cheating. Myself. Within his limitations, the skinny bloke was having a rare purple patch. I wasn't expected to last two weeks, and it doesn't take much for delusions of grandeur to take hold four weeks into an unexpected spell of decent form. If I had a less than 1% chance of improving to the point where I played senior footy, there was a better chance than I'd had two months before. So it was enough for me to let my imagination run out of control. Right. I thought of previous players who'd been plucked from obscurity. A bloke called Ian McMullen from Collingwood came from the amateurs. Uh, Jim Steins, the Melbourne Brownlow medalist, had arrived from Ireland. And Paul Meldrum, who'd famously at the time, all the kids knew about this, had walked in off the street mm. during pre-season training and asked Carlton if he could have a run with them. Then and every that? game he played, the commentators always mentioned, there's Meldrum, the bloke that just walked in off the street and asked if he could play, and today he's one of the best for Carlton. It's like, okay, we get it. <laughs> I know, but it's so unusual. It never happened before or since. To possess and, of course, the- what was his n- nickname? Molly. Yes. To possess the basic skills, yet be unable to expand upon them, was perhaps more frustrating than lacking the basic skills in the first place for me. Was Philip Franklinstein of the Notting Hill Bees aware of his utter hopelessness? And if so, did he know he was destined to remain that way for the term of his footballing life? Surely such knowledge, despite its inherent heartache, would have helped him sleep easier. Or was he, like me, cursed by an internal optimism? Did he believe that once the gawky years of adolescence were behind him, everything would fall into place? And if not, then why did he persist in playing? Perhaps because if the truth hurts, then it's easier to avoid it for as long as you can. Fate will make you face the facts eventually, but we clung onto our dreams until they were run over by reality. Don't you know it's a crying shame? Oh, yeah. Is that playing in there, is it? Yeah. Good right. song. Johnny Diesel? Love Diesel. I saw him. You know what? I saw uh, Johnny Diesel in the injectors. You were probably there, I reckon. We might have discussed this before. In about 1990... Right. Johnny Diesel and the Injectors supported the mm. Pogues at the old palace. Oh, I did not see that. And it was summer. Anyway, so we yeah. see Johnny Diesel and the Injectors who mm. were peaking with the Soul Revival, his debut album at the time, right yep. before he reverted to just Diesel. And it was at the palace in St Kilda, now no longer, uh, which was a sweat box at the best of, best of times. It had been about 43 degrees that day. Burned uh, to the ground burnt in the recent years. Yep. Middle of summer, the Pogues were out and they were the headline act. Everyone had gone to see the Pogues, the raucous party band of, you know, all time history. Yep. With Sean Lead McGowan. singer Keith McGowan. No, Sean. not Keith McGowan. <laughs> From 3AW. Yeah, three Keith McGowan, the stalwart uh, AM radio host. Sean, yes. Sean McGowan, who had rotted stumps for teeth, didn't he? Mm, that's right. I guess my girl. By, by the factory, factory wall, wall. dreamed a dream by, by the, the old, old canal. Oakley, dirty old town, you dirty, dirty old, old town. town. The Iron Fist, Lawrence, and this is the last one we'll discuss today. Okie doke. It's the final subtitle in the longest chapter in the history of published books called The Wagga Wagga Adventure. <laughs> So it's like James Joyce or Dickens. It just goes forever, the well, Wagga Wagga adventure. Except for that fact that those two blokes are absolute bona fide geniuses. And, um, don't, uh, don't kick yourself out of their company so quickly, will you? Well, they're not returning my calls. It's a hint. <laughs> um, they're dead. dead. That's probably why. <laughs> the Iron Fist. Go for it. My football career was over almost as soon as it had begun. 
but not before I threw the perfect punch. That's more fighting to come, Lawrence. I'm oh. so I'm actually, I thought it was about a great spoil. <laughs> oh. but don't but don't be don't be down on yourself, and don't be too judgmental of what you've written because maybe you needed to purge this. Maybe you needed to tell that story to get rid of it. Maybe because I've never known you to be a violent man, except the time you punched me in the chest a couple of times at uh, Russell Gilbert's fundraiser. And why, Lawrence? Why did you think that I punched you in the chest a couple of times? Well, you claimed that I turned up pissed and you were angry. I wasn't angry. No, I wasn't angry. It was I just didn't sober know. me up. No, we had a full house at the Palais for the great Russell Gilbert's mm. charity fundraiser, which I had been a major part of arranging yep. along with a whole lot of other people at Frontier Touring. And uh, you turned up shit-faced. <laughs> and, <laughs> and how uh, did I go on stage? There's like a thousand people. You were great on stage, but I wanted to try and make sure that was the case because you rocked up all over the shop, and I was thinking, how do I tell Mooney? One and only time. How do I tell? How do I tell Mooney that he can't go on? I can't do that. Who am I to tell Lawrence Mooney that he can't go on? But also, how do I let him go on when he's obviously, I reckon, incapable? But no, you got it all together and smashed that show. My football career. As an adult, it was over as soon as it began, but not before I threw the perfect punch. We were a fair way in front against East Brighton when our ruckman went off injured. I was told to contest the centre bounces, an appealing idea in front of our home crowd. I was going okay, and it meant a lot to get a kick in front of the senior players as they gradually arrived for the main game. Sure did, didn't it? To yeah. get a possession in front of the seniors. Yeah. It's like, oh, he's all right. Yeah. Who's that bloke? Who's um, that bloke? Yeah. I'm going to put DP in his undies <laughs> in some kind of some kind of uh, homoerotic expression yeah. of my love of his yeah. skill on the ground. Twisted display of <laughs> sincerity. <laughs> Following I'm going to torture his genitalia because I think he's all right, that bloke. <laughs> Welcome to Australian suburbs. Do women do that stuff to themselves? I don't think they do. No. I don't think that... They can talk, uh, you know why? Because they can talk about their feelings. Well, I don't think the senior hockey side's coming up and they see someone in the reserves and go, I am going to deep heat her undies at training on Wednesday night. Or maybe they do. Just so she knows she's I respected. Know. Just so she knows she's respected around here. For her skill level. Right. Yeah. Following a boundary Jesus. following a boundary line. <laughs> so no well, maybe it's Maybe it's something nicer. I'm going to put icing sugar in her jocks <laughs> to let her know that I like scones <laughs> and cupcakes. Raindrops on roses and bright-coloured mittens. <laughs> Please, if you're a female fan of this, uh, tell us, do women at sporting clubs torture one another by putting deep heat in their, you know, netball undies to show a sign of respect for a skill level? Following a boundary line throw-in, I felt a whoosh of air rush through my hair. I turned to see our rover racing towards my immediate opponent, the opposition ruckman, with anger in his eyes. The other team's ruckman was six feet seven, seventeen stone, and aged about thirty-four. Right, he looked a little worried that I might give him the runaround and had tried to king. Sorry, oh, and tried to king hit me from behind. Now referred to as a coward punch. Right. Hence the whoosh of air I felt in my hair. I then joined our rover in remonstrating with that ruckman. He couldn't even connect when I was stationary and facing the other way, I reminded him. What's more, he'd stolen Merv Hughes's moustache. The scuffle ceased. <laughs> the scuffle ceased and I quickly forgot the whole thing. 
leaping as a part of a whole pack of blokes some 10 minutes later for the ball, I suddenly felt a blind blow to my jaw like I'd been hit with a brick. Ooh. I felt as if I'd swallowed my tongue and wasn't certain that I hadn't. My knees had buckled and the lights had gone out. As I picked myself up off the ground, a quick check suggested no broken bones in my head area, but there was enough pain to panic. The fear quickly turned to fury when I realised who had done the damage. He was 15 feet away on the half-forward flank. I stormed towards him, screaming abuse. What are you going to do about it? He goaded me, beckoning me, Keanu Reeves in the Matrix style, but years before that movie had been made. He was unconcerned in view of our comparative size and was calling me towards him to keep on coming. Mm. In my mood, it was easy to oblige. Raging bull. Suddenly, he was flat on his back in front of me. Blood poured from his nose, turning the white of his jumper red. Car horns honked, and all in brawl broke out around me (laughs) as I wandered away in a daze, almost physically feeling my eyes spinning like tops in my skull. The runner ran out and rushed me off the ground. I'd landed a straight left square on this bloke's snout before either of us knew it was coming. He dropped like a factory chimney, imploding inwards. Everything went silent in my mind for a few seconds. Then the dust settled, the sound returned, and it all went off. I've since wondered about murderers who claim to have no memory of the fatal event. I know I wanted to hurt this bloke like he'd tried to hurt me, and like he had actually done on the second attempt. And I know I had hurt him. I recalled the approach towards him and the retreat, but the point of contact is a blank. It was then and it is now. If my decision had been a conscious one, I've, I'd, if my decision had been a conscious one, I'd have elected to use my right hand because I'm right-handed. It was a strange sensation. Seconds after I'd snotted him, the adrenaline rush was unbelievable, even better than streaking by a long way. <laughs> and then after the game, this bloke wanted to be my mate. I still had the shakes. I didn't want to know. He'd got up during the full-on fighting, swung a random round, round arm towards one of our wingers and was reported for that. I hadn't been seen by the umpire. Uh, and not long after tribunal night, the ongoing pain made me realise I must have busted a bone in my left hand as I connected. Ooh. I was going to be out for the last few weeks of the season, so I decided to go out on top and I retired on the spot. Nobody noticed. The next morning, I woke to a shocking realisation. I was never going to play for St Kilda. The idea had probably never crossed anyone else's mind but mine anyway, even though I had cut my name out of the Waverley Gazette Notting Hill B-team report on those rare occasions when I got a mention, secretly sending it to St Kilda's recruiting officer. Wow. Yep. <laughs> that is sensational. Sad, isn't it? Looking back, I wondered oh, it's why... beautiful. Looking back, I wondered why it had taken me this long to work it out. Even Robert Harvey, playing his first senior game at the age of 16, watched by me, age 19 had not been enough of a hint. Life got a lot greyer from that moment on. Oh, that is beautiful writing, Matthew. That is great writing. And also, the fear that you, you know, are glorifying violence is unfounded. That is all beautiful writing. Well, that thank is you. sport, my friend. Thank and you. And that is Saturday Afternoon Fever. Okay, that'll do us, Lawrence Mooney, for today. I am having a ball, so uh, please join us on the next episode and tell your friends. Bring some friends along. Thanks for joining us. Okay, if you haven't given us a rate and review, now's the time. 
We're counting on you.